0: Coming up on today's episode, we'll talk who stood out from Moose playoff action, make some second round picks, plus a new trots contender emerges. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki, or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. And then there was one in Winnipeg. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Unfortunately, it ended on a bit of a bummer as the Manitoba Moose saw their playoff hopes come to an end at the hands of the Milwaukee Admirals and the officials who let Milwaukee basically play tackle football on the ice in the third period. So with that, that means the Jets and the Moose are now out of action, leaving the Winnipeg Ice as the lone game in town right now. Congrats on them making it to the East Final where they'll take on Edmonton. But for now, we'll turn our focus back to the Moose because, well, it's the offseason and There was actually a decent amount of potential NHL options for Jets fans to keep an eye on, so we'll get into that right now. And fortunately, too, the last three games of the series were all on TSN, so everybody got a chance to watch the Manitoba Moose in action if they didn't get the chance to head down to Canada Life Center. So I thought we'd start by breaking down some of the big names that took to the ice. And we'll start with the biggest one, and I do mean that quite literally, because the person that stood out to me the most over the weekend from the games that I watched was Morgan Barrett. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to believe that he's 6'4", 220. I mean, he's a really, really smooth skater, and he's got great agility as well for a guy his size, And, and that stood out at the NHL level, right? But watching... Baron take on Milwaukee it was just pretty clear to me that this was not an AHL guy anymore I mean it was it was borderline man against boys while he was out there and I, I thought he popped just about every shift and you can see it too with his shot right he overpowers the goalie in game five with the only goal for the moose it, it, everything about him just screams that this is a level that's below what he's able to provide right now and yeah he he wasn't prolific production wise with the Jets despite playing well since coming over from the Rangers, four points in 14 games, but to me, there's really nothing to be gained anymore by having Barron play with the Moose. He's either a complimentary piece in your top nine, or maybe hopefully a driver on, on the Jets' fourth line. Speaking of the fourth line, Barron's line mate David Gustafson, has has long been a fan favorite to take over that spot sooner than later, and I, I thought he was pretty solid beside Barron. The thing with gus's game is it's just there's no flash whatsoever and so maybe sometimes a guy like that gets underrated a little bit because it's meat and potatoes and he just gets the job done right like he's he's a big strong smart kid who just makes good read after good read and ends up impacting the game despite not standing out a whole lot during it right and and watching baron and gus play together I don't know, you do wonder if Jets management has any inkling at all towards potentially throwing those guys together as part of the fourth line for next season. You know, part of me doesn't like it because I I wouldn't mind seeing Barron get a shot beside some skilled players higher up the lineup, but I, I have to admit it is pretty tantalizing to think that, you know, there could be a monster fourth line here in Winnipeg next season and and it would be young too right I mean for argument's sake just imagine this you could have six foot four 220 Morgan Barron six foot three 210 Evgeny Svechnikov and then the rent of the litter to round it up, 6-2-200 Gustafsson. Like, that is pretty wicked. And, and it's not just, you know, having size to have size. I mean, all of those players, Svechnikov especially, like, there's a decent amount of skill between those three. So, hey, you know what, maybe I, I just might talk myself into making that happen going into next season. But, I mean, let me know what you think. That, that's, you know, going to be an under, under-talked-about under topic, I guess you could say, going into next season, but what would your dream fourth line look like for next season? I imagine a lot of people would be cool with, you know, a a Morgan Barron, Svechnikov, Gustafson trio, but maybe there's a a name or two outside the organization that you think might be a nice fit. I'll be very intrigued to see how the Jets go about this, and obviously a lot's going to depend on Who the new coach is and what their mindset and and philosophy is with their fourth line. I wonder what Barry Trotz thinks about that. The other interesting thing, looking at potential lines and things like that for next year with the Moose, is just that up with the big club, we know there is a big-time logjam on the back end. But there also is a pretty solid one up front as well. Because, you know, as of now... It's likely to be a battle between David Gustafson and Dominic Toninato for the 12th forward spot on the roster. And and that's if Paul Stastny doesn't come back as an unrestricted free agent, right? So that could throw a little bit of a wrench into all of this. It also wouldn't include any potential outside help being brought in for improvement. I I wonder how the Jets go about this. If, if they decide to move out any players under contract right now for... Picks, prospects, whatever it may be, I I wonder how the Jets go about potentially opening up a spot for a guy like David Gustafson or you know my personal favorite Mikey Asimov. That's not going to happen, but right, like I I wonder if, if they're looking to change up the mix a little bit, who stays and who goes. You know, you, you do have to imagine that at this point, a guy like Christian Vesalinen probably gets a change of scenery, right? Whether it's a trade or waivers. Just a a real tough series for him, not much of an impact at either end of the ice, and just kind of follows up a really disappointing campaign for him, where where Veselainen was gifted a spot on the third line to start the year, and by the end of the campaign, failed to even crack the top 12 on the Winnipeg Jets. But that's pretty much it as far as who stood out from from up front. Now on the back end, again, the logjam there really fails to get any clearer after a few really, really strong performances by members of the Manitoba Moose. Most notably, and most excitingly, Vili As the young Finn had a few standout performances. Specifically game four, where he had, you could argue, one of his best games as a professional hockey player. I mean, he was all over the ice in that one. I, I love watching young guys play with confidence. And that, to me, what was... That, that was what was most evident in, in Billy Hanela's game in, in the few contests that I saw with him playing the Moose over the weekend was just that he knew he was going to dominate down there. Like he, there, there was almost a level of arrogance with his with his play, which I absolutely love. He just looked a touch faster in every area of his game that he has you know, with the Jets, although he was getting better at the end of the year. But hopefully this can be a bit of a springboard for him going into next season. Again, though, although there's going to have to be a body or two moved out to make that happen. And I really wonder what happens on the blue line. Because the Jets, they're in this weird spot where they've got they've got a lot of good, above average to good defensemen, but no real high-enders, right? And And there's some youth baiting on the door. I just, I wonder how they go about reshaping the blue line, right? Because you have to bring in more talent, but if you do that... You're also closing the door for a youngster to potentially sneak in like we saw Dylan Sandberg do this year. So this juggling act is going to be really, really fascinating to watch play out over the next couple of months. Surprisingly for me as well, the other most notable defenseman in that Moose Admiral series, the one that stood out more to me, it was not Dylan Sandberg, but it was Declan Chisholm. Chisholm was a revelation. I, I thought he was fantastic. He was so good, I finally figured out how to pronounce his name correctly, but he was one smooth blue liner out there. I, I like his game a lot, and, you know, he got that chance, I think it was in Detroit, right, to, you know, kind of parachute it in to play last second, but that's somebody I think, I think Jets fans can start to get excited about the potential for Declan Chisholm, and, and look, there's a lot of faults with this team right now, but the strength of their defensive prospects is clearly not one of them, and you can go right ahead and add Chisholm to the list, right? And maybe he gets higher and higher up the list with with how well he's played, and he's going to be an NHLer sooner than later, depending on on what happens there. But as as far as his maybe his floor, I, I think I think Chisholm's going to be a bit of a beauty for the Jets pretty quickly here, and that goes along with you know a guy like Johnny Kovasevich, who I think has looked pretty damn good as well. You know, Sandberg, I thought, was just okay in the series. Not really a big deal for me. I mean, he. <laughs> it's more important to me that he looked like a, a borderline top four guy at the NHL level than it was that he had, you know, a so-so series against Milwaukee. I, I do think, and this is going to sound weird, but I do think that Dylan Sandberg is one of those guys that plays better at the NHL level than he does in the AHL. It's it's really hard to explain and I hate doing this, but it's it's hard to explain unless you've, like, jumped up levels playing hockey before. But I've always felt certain players perform better when the pace is high. And they're forced to play off instinct. And the game just kind of comes naturally to them. As opposed to the AHL, in this case, where it's a, it's a little slower, a little less organized. Again, not too worried about Dylan Sandberg, even though he didn't, you know, maybe have as impactful of a series as as Hanula and Declan Chisholm for me I've still got Sandberg atop of the heap when it comes to Winnipeg Jets defensive prospects either way you know a crappy result for the team but you know looking at the the long game of all this still a a pretty promising weekend for the future of the Winnipeg Jets now let's shift gears from the future to the present some interesting rumors popping up around Winnipeg, including a few nuggets from Elliot Friedman's 32 Thoughts. Plus, we'll make some second-round predictions in just a bit. But before we do that, let's give a quick shout-out to our friends over at DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NHL, which has an unbelievable offer on the table for you as round two gets going here. But new customers can bet 5 bucks on any team to win. And you get $100 in free bets no matter what. You don't have to be good at picking the games. You just have to drop 5 bucks to get $100 coming your way. It's easy as that. You can also create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like what she will win. How many goals are scored in the game? A ton more if you want to grab an even bigger payout than that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet five dollars on any NHL team to win and get one hundred dollars in free bets, no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for more details. All right, so some rumors and some of the off-season talks starting to kick into high gear as round one of the playoffs is done. And Trotz Watch is really the main topic of discussion here in Winnipeg. And it got ratcheted up to another gear. Once the news finally came down that Barry Trotz officially interviewed for the head coaching position here with the Winnipeg Jets as well as General Met. No, that second part's not true. I'm sure management was discussed, but Barry Trotz officially gets his first interview since being let go by the New York Islanders. Elliott Friedman jumping on that point in his latest 32 Thoughts article and kind of rounding the main contenders into focus here. Obviously, the Winnipeg Jets are interested when they're hiring Barry Trotz for the coaching spot, and they were a lot of people's initial thoughts because the hometown, the home province boy is coming back to where he grew up and began his coaching career. But Friedman mentions that a lot of people are drawing a line from Trotz to Vegas. Now that Pete DeBoer is out the picture there for the Golden Knights. But he also mentions the Philadelphia Flyers who, quote, have a deep, deep respect for him and his work. He's a top candidate there as well. And I kind of like how he closes out the Barry Trotz thought here. But Elliot Friedman, I, I think really... Ask the main question that needs to be answered in the whole Barry Trotz saga, and that just is quite simply this: What really interests Barry Trotz more than anything else? And and that's it, right? If it's coming home, and whether you know coaching and management is a part of that. But if it's coming home that's most important to him, well, he's going to be here in Winnipeg. If he wants a, <laughs> if he wants a challenge, he'll go to Philadelphia. If he wants maybe the most ready to win team, then you know what that probably would be the Vegas Golden Knights although maybe some people here in Winnipeg might argue that after the Knights fell out of the playoff picture just like the Winnipeg Jets did this past year right but whatever is most important in Barry Trotz's mind I think is just ultimately going to be the decider on this but what's interesting to do now that we have this triumvirate of teams here that have I guess publicly stated that they're going to be in on the Barry Trotz train is is ranking them as far as who's most likely to ultimately get the pen to paper here. Is it going to be Philly? Is it going to be Winnipeg? Or is it going to be Vegas? As I see it right now, my rankings might surprise some people out of those three. But I think a lot of people might point to Philadelphia being the third most likely team to grab Barry Trotz to be their head coach. I, I don't agree with that. Because... I do believe that while the Flyers definitely have the worst roster out of all the teams that are mentioned here, Comcast is definitely going to open up the checkbook and they're going to say, look, if you want five, six million a year, you're getting five, six million a year over five years. You want management say, we're going to give you management say. This is, I, I think the Flyers believe that, you know, right or wrong, bringing Barry Trotz aboard would be the ultimate springboard to get them back into playoff or or cup contention and if they can get that done they're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen I, I I think that's enough for me to actually put Philly ahead of Vegas I I don't think that Vegas is a good fit for Barry Trotz and and sure they might have the most ready to win roster right now but we know that Barry Trotz is interested to some level of having managerial controller ultimately moving into a managerial position. I don't really see that working in Vegas right now with both George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon running the show there. I, I just it doesn't make sense to me that they would add another cook to the kitchen if management is so important to that. But the other part is, you know, I, I really wonder I wonder how Vegas has operated these past couple of seasons. Has turned off potential employees for joining them, right? Like, if you're a guy like Barry Trotz, who's maybe on the back nine, maybe like I don't know, the 15th hole of his coaching career, do you want to potentially take a risk going to Vegas, knowing that if if you're not successful right off the bat, they've shown that loyalty is not an issue for them and you could be out the door right away. Right? I I wonder how much that cutthroat mentality Appeals to somebody like Barry Trotz, who might be looking for a little more stability at this stage of his career. I think the Flyers and I think the Jets offer that a lot more than the Vegas Golden Knights do. I I think to me, I look at Babcock and Quenville as potential options in Vegas. You know, big names on the coaching market, but not necessarily somebody that wants to get into the managerial side of things. I don't agree with it, but I I kind of sense that there might be a potential fit there with those names and what Vegas is trying to accomplish. So I actually have Vegas three in teams most likely to grab Barry Trotz as their next head coach. I'll have the Flyers second, but I'll tell you what, Jets fans, I, I really, really do believe Winnipeg has the inside track on this. You've got the hometown allure, you've got the fact that I do believe with the season that they've had here that you know what shovel they off and, and maybe ownership is more inclined to bring somebody in to help on the hockey op side of things and the Jets have a pretty good raw I, I know they haven't they haven't been as successful as a lot of people would like to but there's a lot of good intriguing pieces here there's a lot of high end talent and you've got a Vesna caliber goaltender behind all that I, I think that would be something that's really really appealing to Barry Trotz. You look at the roster, you look at the location, and you look at the potential managerial say in all things, I I do believe the Jets check off all three boxes, and they do so more than either the Flyers or the Vegas Golden Knights. So for me, I don't want to say that I would be surprised if Barry Trotz didn't sign with the Winnipeg Jets, but I do feel like it's the Winnipeg Jets' race to lose. And I'd be very, very intrigued to see why they wouldn't be able to get this done here. If it's more money or if it's more, say, in the managerial side of it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm getting pretty jacked up about this. I, I really do think it's just it's the perfect fit. And it's happening with perfect timing on top of it. And I, I, I'm starting to believe that Barry Trotz, maybe in the next couple of weeks, is going to be doing a press conference. Maybe not Portage, Maine, but he's going to be doing a press conference to... Uh, show off his new gig as head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Now, that wasn't the only off-season rumor that popped up with Elliot Friedman's 32 thoughts, and, and really, you know, Darren Drager got into this as well. Um, but on the personnel side of things, just a few interesting little tidbits that came out there. The first kind of terrifying, and that's about Connor Hellebuck and the Winnipeg Jets. Connor Hellebuck told the Jets from Elliott Friedman that he is happy to stay with the team as long as the plan is not to rebuild you know it, it just there's an element that scares me a little bit just because there's you know hellebuck's at least entertained the thought that look if the team's not good enough I don't want to be a part of this anymore so there's a little bit of fear there for me but ultimately how can you not understand where Connor Hellebuck is at right now right he's faced more shots he's played more games over these past few seasons than anybody else in the NHL and you can make the case he's gotten the least amount of support in that time I, I totally get that he's not looking to play 60-plus games and try to win single-handedly anymore, right? Like, he's he's firmly in the camp of, I, I want a Stanley Cup more than a Vezina Trophy, and I want it now. So, ultimately, I don't think it's something the Winnipeg Jets have to worry about. If they're going down the rebuild path, it's going to be, look, it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be a tough couple of years, and you know what? Trading Connor Hellebuck at that point, I think, makes sense. I just don't believe that this is anywhere near where the Winnipeg Jets are going. So it, it's it's kind of a moot point because, you know, Hellebuck is happy to be here as long as they're not rebuilding. I don't think they're doing that. So no harm, no foul. The other interesting part is that Friedman reports that Mark Scheifele did not request a trade while meeting with Kevin Sheveldayoff. There's still uncertainty about what could happen, but... It could depend on Pierre-Luc Dubois' next contract, according to Elliot Friedman. That last part is really intriguing. You know, I, I don't know what to make about the fact that Scheifele apparently did not ask for a trade in his meeting with Chevy. You know, that can be twisted a lot of ways, right? Scheifele could maybe not ask for a trade, but say that, you know what? My heart's not really here and, you know, do what you will this off. You know what I mean, right? Like he could say he wants out by not specifically asking for a trade, all that. So that that part doesn't really interest me a whole lot. But it's just the fact that Pierre-Luc Dubois' next contract could potentially play a role into whether or not Mark Shifley stays here. I, I guess that's more along the lines of, you know, maybe some people will look at that and say, maybe Shifley sees Dubois gets, I don't know, $8 million a year. Is jealous. He's not making as much. He wants out because of that. I look at it as more: if the Jets can get Dubois signed to a contract, and, and he's he's a little uncertain about his future here in Winnipeg and is looking elsewhere, well, then they're not going to trade Mark Scheifele because there would be a lack of, you know, high-end centermen on this team's roster, and you're you're kind of forced into keeping Mark Scheifele at that point. So there's a lot of moving balls here as to where this all plays out you know, I'm still not too worried about PLD's future, even if he does sign a short-term deal this offseason, I don't know, there's not going to be too many places he can go where he's going to be playing besides somebody as good as Cal Connor is offensively, so I'm I'm not too concerned about things for the next year, at the very least, maybe worry, you know, a year or two down the road, Uh, but while Friedman was kind of, you know, maybe a little bit on the fence as to Mark Scheifele's future with Winnipeg, Darren Drager was not. <laughs> he joined Rod Peterson's show over there in Saskatchewan, and, and Tia since Darren Drager, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it a little bit here, but he essentially said that he's going to be surprised if Mark Scheifele is a Winnipeg Jet next season. Didn't, didn't say, you know, trade request or no trade request, but, you know, I, 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 hey, look, I, I trust a guy like Darren Drager, he puts a lot of his credibility on the line when he says something like this, and when one insider says something like this, I don't know. There's smoke, there's fire. I I put a lot of stock into that. We'll we'll get into you know the whole Mark Shifley, the whole Mark Shifley. I guess just discussion, the options, who he could be traded to, should he stay, should he go, all that. Maybe sometime next week we'll kind of officially dive into that and, and maybe just take stock of what options are on the table for the Winnipeg Jets. But at this point, I'm I'm certainly leaning towards that Mark Scheifele has played his last game here in Winnipeg, regardless of if Dubois signs a one-year deal, a two-year deal, or a six, seven, or eight-year deal. But we'll touch on that as we move forward here. Still plenty of off-season. To get to and you know what I think some fireworks are going to happen sooner rather than later here in Winnipeg maybe more so on the coaching search side than the personnel side but we'll we'll keep it all uh, we'll keep it all on our laps as we move forward into the off season what we have to get to here before we wrap up the show though is some second round playoff predictions because the second round is now officially underway so without further ado let's take some stock after round one and then we'll make some picks here to close out the episode but I had a pretty good first round kind of good and then kind of awful I ended up going six for eight with my picks which you might say good job that's pretty impressive unfortunately the two series that I picked incorrectly were the two teams that I picked to go to the Stanley Cup final (laughs) I, I had you know Minnesota in a complete stunner taking out the avalanche going to the Stanley Cup final actually winning the Stanley Cup But doing so against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who I thought might go on a bit of a Cinderella run of their own and meet up in a wild Maple Leafs Stanley Cup final. That's obviously not going to be the case. That's obviously on me for actually believing in both the awfulness that is the Maple Leafs franchise and the awfulness that is Minnesota sports as a whole. So shame on me for doing that. It's not going to happen again. I'm, I'm, I'm off that bandwagon moving forward. I can guarantee that. Uh, but we'll see if I can make it up here and, and go full for 4 with some second-round picks here. So we'll start out in the East, the Battle of Florida for the second straight season. For me, it was going to be the most intriguing matchup, or at least maybe the most exciting matchup of round two. But Braden Point's injury really puts a, a damper on that. For me, I still think we see Tampa Bay... I still think we see Tampa Bay perform at an extremely high level. I think maybe Nikita Kucherov might step up his game a little bit with Brayden Point out. But I will take the Florida Panthers to move on here. I I think Tampa Bay's a little banked up in certain spots. I think the series against Toronto might have taken a little more out of them as we get down to, you know, games five, six, and seven. I I wonder if we start to see that take its toll on Tampa Bay. And and while I love, love, love Andre Vasilevsky, and I think he's kind of shown that, you know what, he's the ultimate trump card that they can play, I do think once Florida starts to get going here that they're ultimately going to be too much to handle offensively for the Lightning. I'll take the Florida Panthers to squeeze by the bolts in six games. Again, if it gets to seven, I don't trust Florida to, to finish the job even though it's on home ice, but I'd like Florida to get this one done in six games and go to the conference final where they'll take on the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes, unfortunately, Jets fans, the New York Rangers, I think their journey ends here. They're only four wins away from that Andrew Cobb trade, passing over a first-round pick instead of a second-round pick. But ultimately, I just think there's too much firepower on, on Carolina's side here. And, and they've got, you know, whether it's Ronta or a Freddie Anderson that comes back at some point, from his injury, they're pretty set in net. Toronto was outstanding against Boston. But Jacob Slavin, who has been kind of the NHL's most underrated player for a few, for a few years now, had a whale of a first-round matchup. I, I think he's going to slow down Artemi Panarin and Andrew Kopp. And while Sabinajad and Kreider really started to explode at the tail end of that series against Pittsburgh, I, I just think it's a year too early for the New York Rangers they, they're they getting basically nothing from their bottom six as well and I don't know it's just has been he's been a little shaky he was a little shaky against Pittsburgh maybe he finds his bearings in round two but ultimately I think Carolina just I, I think we see them just tally up too big of a shot advantage on the shot clock the chances all of that's going to be too much I'll take Carolina actually in a And a bit of a cruise for them in in five games to take on the Florida Panthers in the Eastern Conference Final. Out there on the west side of things, things get really interesting. The Battle of Alberta is finally back after 20, I think it's 20 years. At least 20 years maybe since the two sides met the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames. So, so jacked to watch all of this one each and every game. But it's really hard not to pick Calgary in this one. I, I, look, hey, Connor McDavid was the best player in round one. He's going to be the best player in round two. But I, I just don't think that's going to be enough against the Flames. On top of that, Leon Dreisaitl is, I think, dealing with an ankle sprain or something like that. He's going to be hobbled. I, there's just too many things that need to go right Edmonton's way for me to think that they've got an actual chance in this series. So I'm going to roll with Calgary. I'm going to take them in six. I was going to say five. I'll take the Flames in six. I, and I think Johnny Gaudreau being the guy to finally send... My God, was that ever a series for Jake Ottinger? But for jo- Johnny Gaudreau and all his questions with his playoff performance of years past, for him to get that OT winner in Game 7, I would love to see him bounce off that and have a monster, monster round two and finally put those playoff issues to rest. But I do like Calgary to move on to the Western Conference Final... Where they will take on surprise, surprise, the Colorado Avalanche. I, I did have the Avs losing to Minnesota in round two. That's obviously not going to be the case this time around. I think St. Louis gives them a much, much more difficult series than the sweep that the Avalanche handed to them last year. I love St. Louis's depth up front. I think Bennington's gonna be pretty, pretty solid. I don't think he's gonna be great, but I think he's gonna be solid for St. Louis. But there's, there's just no weak spot with Colorado. Right? Yeah, like I, I think picking Minnesota to beat them was foolish to begin with. I just, I, I can't find, to me it's similar with the, the Calgary Edmonton series. Too many things need to go right for St. Louis for me to think that, you know, the Avalanche aren't going to get this done. I'll take Colorado in six. I, I think St. Louis makes them work for it. But ultimately I'll take the Avalanche in six. And I wonder when the last time this happened, but I've got all chalk in the final four at this point. The number one seed from each division, for me, is going to head to the Final Four. Number one versus number one versus number one versus number one. I I wonder what the last time that's happened. It's going to set up for for a hell of a a conference final if things play out that way, then ultimately a Stanley Cup final. I feel like it's been a while since we've had a matchup where the best teams from each conference go head-to-head in the Stanley Cup final. It always seems like some underdog team sneaks in there and then gets their their brains beaten by whoever the heavy favorite is. So it'll be a nice change of pace if things play out like that. But that's where we're going to wrap up the episode. Today, we'll call it quits, and then we'll get back to it at the end of the week here. Thank you guys so much for listening once again to another episode of Skates and Plates right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. When we get back to close things out Friday morning... We'll take another look, another update with the latest from Trot's Watch here in Winnipeg. Any other off-season rumors that come to fruition? And maybe we'll even start a look at potential contracts for both RFAs and UFAs here in Winnipeg. That'll all come up when we get back at it on a Friday morning. Until then, have a great rest of your week. Stay safe out there as well. Peace.